time for the December 24th, 2021 edition of Weekly Signals Weekly Review, an unaccountable approximation of the last 168 hours of history, broadcasting from the University of California at Irvine on KUCI 88.9 FM. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar. And as always, the sexiest dad alive, Mahler, the fake news dog. Yeah, Mahler. Good boy. Well, here we are. Here we are. Christmas Eve. Yes. There's no other place I'd rather be than in this studio with you, Nathan Callahan. Yeah, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's kind of sick. It is. Yeah. It is a little bit. De- it is. It's depressing. It's actually kind of what it is. Today, we'll yeah. be talking about James Brown's will. Oh. What's left of the border wall? Amazon in China. Mm-hmm. Horseshoe crabs cease not and then some. But first, <laughs> you know, speaking of the holiday season. Yes. Do you know any witches? I, this, you're going to think I'm making this up for the show. Uh-uh. I dated a woman who uh-huh. claimed she was a witch. Well, her, her name was Mary. Why do you doubt her? <laughs> well, it might might have been that I didn't after the carbuncles showed up. Yeah. 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 I didn't after yeah. that. Yeah. From the Guardian. Yeah. Three centuries after the Witchcraft Act was repealed in Scotland, the Scottish government is on track to issue pardons and official apologies for the estimated 3,837 alleged witches. For an estimate, that's pretty precise, don't that, you think? That is very precise. You think they'd have rounded it off uh, to like 3,400 or no, something? No, no. 3,837 alleged witches, 84% of whom were women, Mm-hmm. They were tried as witches, of which two-thirds were executed and burned. God. So we got like over 2,000 burned and executed one way or another, or executed one way or another, uh, people. Yeah. To put that into perspective, in Salem, which we always make a big deal about, you know, the witch trials yeah, there, 300 people were accused and 19 were executed. 19. Okay. So we make a big deal out of Salem. Here in, over in Scotland, they were... They're not effing around. No, uh-uh. You, you, you're accused of being a witch. Yeah. You're a witch, apparently. apparently. Per capita, during the period between the 16th and 18th centuries, Scotland executed five times as many people as elsewhere in Europe. And as I said, the vast majority of them were women. Scotland's officially Scotland officially kicked off its pursuit of witches in 1563, when the Witchcraft Act was established, and it wasn't until almost 200 years later in 1736 when the Witchcraft Act was finally repealed. Was there a particular religious event? Was there some kind of meeting of the cardinals or something that, that spurred, kicked us off yeah, in that spurred all of a sudden they decided they wanted to go after well, the Well, here's witches. something interesting. I don't know all the details, yeah. but... I'll get into it. During those years, being a witch was a capital crime, yeah. and the convicted were usually strangled to death and then burned at the stake so there, there'd be no body to bury. God. The Witches of Scotland campaign, the organizer of the pardon, notes on their website, and this is to answer your question, that signs associated with witchcraft, broomsticks, cauldrons, black cats, and black-pointed hats were also associated with alewives, 
the name for women who brewed a light beer, a lighter beer. And, you know, they called it a wheat beer, but I think that's really not getting to the point. What they were trying to do is have something to drink because the water was ghastly, you know, mm -hmm. it was polluted, mm -hmm. make people sick. So they brewed up some beer and the fermentation process gave them some hydration, made them a little tipsy, but the alewives did this. Okay. So perhaps, because what they said later on is, well, let me get into it. The broomstick was to let people uh, know beer was on sale. Okay. That was a symbol, you know, right. you saw the broomstick, you know, there was beer. The cauldron to brew it. Right. That's what a witch's cauldron, that's what they were brewing. Right. You know, Shakespeare was full of it. Eye of Newt. Right. No, beer. Beer. Yeah. The cat to keep the mice down, the hat to distinguish them at the market. So if you had a pointed hat. You knew you could get some ale. Yeah. Women were ousted from brewing and replaced by men once it became a profitable industry. So in answer to your question, I wouldn't be surprised if this, the point, was a matter of a, uh, of a marketplace war. Right. And letting women know that they weren't entitled to agency of their over their own economic freedom. Yeah. Right? There's some element of this. And yeah, I mean, yeah. the the uh, prohibition movement was at more or less a religious movement here in, in this country. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Part of the Witches of Scotland campaign is a national memorial for those accused and convicted of what of witchcraft, which yeah. is kind of cool. Yeah. I'd like to see what that memorial looks like. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's a great story. You can join the Witches of Scotland at witchesofscotland.com. I, I joined I'll, right up. I'll pretty go. cool. All right, thank you. you. Have some nice uh, paraphernalia there. If you What's like the it. website again? I'm oh, sorry. Witchesofscotland.com. Okay. Got it. Just Google Witches of Scotland yeah, and it'll yeah. come right up. Yeah, yeah. What do you think about all that, Mahler? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. Oh, he thought we were talking about bitches. You got you. All, you like to say that word, don't you? When it's well, when it's in regard to a dog. When, when it's regarding yeah, when Mahler yeah. always talks about him. From the Harvard Gazette, hmm. an extensive study of ancient DNA suggests that a wave of newcomers and perhaps the first Celtic languages crossed the English Channel three thousand years ago by analyzing the, deg the degraded DNA from the remains of 400 ancient Europeans, researchers showed that 4,500 years ago, uh, even longer than the 3,000, 4,500 years ago, nomadic pastoralists from the steppes on the eastern edge of Europe surged into central Europe. So you're going from the eastern edge, they're in the plains there, the grasslands, they move into central Europe, and in some areas, their progeny replaced about 75% of the genetic ancestry of the existing populations. Wow. They were. Yeah, they were, they were going at it. They were randy buggers, weren't they? Descendants of the nomads then moved west into Britain, yeah. where they mixed with the Neolithic inhabitants so thoroughly that within a few hundred years, the newcomers accounted for more than 90% of the island's gene pool. Wow. So in effect, the research suggests Britain was almost completely repopulated by immigrants from France, yeah. which wow. is kind of what you'd think anyway, yeah. but yeah. a lot of people uh, before now were thinking it was the uh, Neolithics uh, and the uh, Northern Europeans right. coming down yeah. into right. to England, where it sounds like, according to this research, they were moving 
to the uh, west from at first central from Eastern Europe and then Central Europe. I just saw a story a couple of weeks ago about how the Nords were in North America much sooner than we had thought they were. Yeah. And, and so this brings up something that I recently came to my attention and I agree with it. And that is the more natural state of human beings is to migrate than it is to stay in place. And when you consider the history of humanity we are we are a species that migrates. Yep. So this will be a very interesting period of time we're entering the yeah. next fifty years and see what happens in that regard. More migration. More migration. If this news makes you want to migrate, may I recommend a donation to KUCI as an alternative? Just go to KUCI.org. Your generous donation is how we stay on air. Commercial free. Freeform Free Speech Radio KUCI 88.9 FM. From the Noise Network. Not Just like a music. Oh, okay, not familiar with that. We're going to have a little music news now. Right, okay. An album of endangered birds, bird songs, endangered bird songs, is topping the Australian music charts. Number one with a bullet. <laughs> Songs of Disappearance, a collection of the vocalizations of cockatoos, bowerbirds, fairy wrens, mallyfowl, and the haunting call of one of the last remaining night parrots, quickly rose in the charts, surpassing global stars like The Weeknd and Justin Bieber. <laughs> and Christmas favorites like uh, Michael Bublé and Mariah Carey. Okay. So there's some good in this story. Yeah. For sure, yeah. A lot the of birds, you know, yeah. as uh, Captain Beefheart said, listen to the birds. Yeah. It's the first field recording to make it into the Australian Recording Industry Association's top five albums. And it's 54 tracks edged out Taylor Swift to make the top three. <laughs> it's a beautiful sounding album, I'm too. Sure I, for, I was sure. kind of, you know, thinking, ah, you know, it's birds. I've heard that before. Yeah. Wonderfully recorded. It was produced by Charles Darwin University doctoral candidate Anthony Albrecht and is composed of songs collected by David Stewart, a renowned wildlife sound recordist, among other collaborators. Really great stereo in it, too. Yeah. And just beautiful recordings. I mean, they're just... I mean, you, you who I'm saying I mean so much for, but you couldn't ask for a better studio recording of a bird if it had a mic in front of it. Okay, them. okay. Yeah. At least 216 birds are under threat in Australia. 77 of the species have been affected by the growing frequency of, bush, of bushfires, with 26 at an even greater risk after Australia's 2019 and 2020 fires. Severe droughts and heat waves also have threatened the health and habitat of more than 90 bird species. The album's profits benefit BirdLife Australia. Nice. And to order the CD or download the album, go to songsofdisappearance.com. And you can hear it there, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but nice little video of, of the, uh, has a, I think the, the number one hit on it. Okay. Which is called Songs of Disappearance. Okay. You know, this reminds me of a, something that happened, I, I want to say it was in the 80s. You'll know better than I remember it. But the whales, the whale songs. Oh, yeah. That came out. and. <laughs> There you go. (laughs) 
exactly. Yeah. And that was a that was a hit. Songs of the Humpback Whale. Thank you. Songs of the Humpback Whale. I have the album. I bet you do. It's a nice blue cover with a huge whale jumping out of the water. Jumping out of the water. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. And it and it it was instrumental in bringing a, an appreciation, uh, an understanding of the oceans and the impact we were having on the oceans. And this became kind of a way of people becoming more familiar with it. So it's it has some good lineage, if you yeah. will, in terms of this uh, this album you're talking about. So. From Smithsonian uh, Magazine, Smithsonian. Over there at uh, the Smithsonian. Yeah, the Smithsonian. They're making this. I know of them. Yes, Smithsonian guys. If they don't go underwater? No. After a 15-year dispute. 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 <laughs> Dis well, it's spelled that way. Dispute. Pute. After a 15-year dispute, James Brown's estate was settled. The estimated $90 million estate will go mostly toward a scholarship fund for children in South Carolina, where Brown was born, and Georgia, where he grew up. Since Brown's death at age 73 in 2006, lots of folk have been battling over his estate, filing more than a dozen lawsuits. James Brown left a will where he stated it was his dream to give back to children. Wow. Members of his family were given Brown's possessions, his stage costumes, and $2 million to fund his grandchildren's education. Now, I mean, that sounds like maybe he's, you know, given a lot more to the children than he has given to his family but hell all the possessions that he has right those costumes that yeah he has, wouldn't so... you you'd pay a good amount of money for james brown's cape yeah no kidding, yeah. No kidding. i'd like that just when i came in here into the studio yeah yeah i get so, somebody yeah, that... to fan me off you know and <laughs> somebody come over with a towel to yeah towel i could down. drop to yeah. a knee yeah. i could <laughs> drape the cape over me i'd love that 90 million dollar estate yeah Wow. For James. Yeah. Brown's children wanted to agree on a settlement which would give have given them significant shares of the state estate, bypassing his final wishes. Part of the dispute involved Brown's former partner, singer Tommy Ray Heine, who claimed to have been married to him. Oh. In twenty oh nine, a southern a South Carolina state judge agreed with Brown's children in Heine, but a year later, the South Carolina Supreme Court overturned that settlement, citing that any changes would be a dismemberment of Brown's carefully crafted estate plan. So it sounds like the kids in uh, Georgia and South Carolina are going to get some benefit from That's, the that uh, is a, well, it's Godfather a lot, of yeah, Soul. Yeah, the Godfather of Soul, a lot more money than I would have expected. I don't know why, but uh, the thing is, he back in the day, he ran his band, his yeah. outfit, like a business. Tight. Tight. If you And he would fine the players in his band if they missed a, a, a cue or something. Uh, he was, yeah, the, reportedly a very tough uh, boss because he wanted perfection. But, uh, wow, what an interesting story about James, the godfather of soul, Brown. James Brown. From Guitar World. Wow. Yeah, we're getting a lot of music news A lot news of here. music yeah. today. Well, it's a festive day. Yeah, it's a very festive day for music. From Guitar World, Eric Clapton successfully sued a 55-year-old German widow, Gabrielle P. That's how she was listed. Mm -hmm. In uh, Well, we'll find out on eBay. For listing her bootleg CD on eBay for $11. Yeah, that's what Eric Clapton is doing these days. 
The bootleg Live USA was purchased by Gabrielle P.'s late husband at a department store more than 30 years ago. Oh, my goodness. Gabrielle P. listed the album on eBay for $11 this July, after which Clapton, citing the illegal nature of the album, a bootleg, sent the court an affidavit. The Dusseldorf Regional Court ruled in Clapton's favor. Now, this is just law at that point. Yeah, what what choice do they have? Right, they're just following the law. It is illegal, and Gabriel P. now faces either a $300,000 fine or six-month prison sentence if she continues her efforts to sell the album. So if she desists, this goes away. It sounds like it. Yeah, well, that's crazy. Which, yeah, okay, good. Wow. But still, it, it's That's, just yeah. it's well, you know, sad the, with you know the Eric other activity Clapton. that I just saw this three days ago what? about Clapton. He's collaborated with something on an anti-vax. Song. Oh, you just well, I read that in the news a couple oh, weeks I'm ago. Sorry, were you what, going to sleep? Yeah, I apparently blacked out during that part, <laughs> part of the show. I often, you know, it's, you, it's not the first time in recent months that Clapton yeah. made an ass of himself. Well, there you go. Back in November. Which is a whole month ago. Well, see, well, that's guitar veteran Robert Clay Cray. You know him. Yeah. He ended his 35-year friendship with Clapton over Clapton's likening of COVID-19-related lockdowns to slavery. In uh, the 2020 song he recorded with Van Morrison, Stand and Deliver. Yeah. Good God. He does does his guitar uh, festival every year. He was. I don't know if they still do it with COVID and all, but... Clapton had his uh, Crossroads. It was called Crossroads Festival, uh-huh. and a bunch of guitarists would get together. I've heard some of it. They're, they're you know, some of the best guitarists in rock and popular music were, have been there, and it's very cool. But I, he's he seems to have kind of lost his way, Mr. Yeah. Clapton. Yeah, we give out so much information during this uh, well, hour of ours that yeah. you can't even remember it. I know. And you're was, right here. I was right here. Yeah. And somehow the, the it infamous. went in. Yeah. I know it went in. I remember that part, kind of. But I didn't process it. Yeah. Oh. And this is Cray speaking now about Clapton. I'd just rather not associate with somebody who's on the extreme and being so selfish. Good for Robert Cray. Yeah. That's putting it succinctly without, yeah, without name calling or anything. Right. right. Exactly. Uh, from The Verge. Conservationists fear that the horseshoe crab, a 450-million-year-old arthropod, is not a crab. Okay. It's one of those things, you know, it's, where it's, it's, it's not what we say it is. It's not a crustacean. It's, it's yeah, not it's even... not even a crustacean. It's kind of something I didn't, it, it's little subspecies is something I couldn't pronounce, so I just thought I'd call it an arthropod. <laughs> That's good enough will be pushed to the brink of extinction because of the value of their blood to the pharmaceutical industry. Horseshoe crabs. Horseshoe crab blood provides a natural source of limulus amoebocyte lysate, which is used to test vaccines, drugs, and medical devices to ensure they aren't contaminated with bacterial toxins or endotoxins. Horseshoe crab blood can go for $60,000 per gallon. Jesus. Well, I don't know. You know, that's a lot of horseshoe crabs probably to get that, a gallon very, of blood. A lot of them, yes. Usually they try to figure out a way to synthesize these things. Yeah. Well, we'll get to that. Okay. Fortunately, there's already an alternative to horseshoe crab blood. In the late 1990s, biologists at the University of Singapore created a synthetic version called recombinant factor C, which is just as effective as 
horseshoe crab derived limulus amoebocyte lysate. Easy for you to say. Yeah. And it is currently commercially available. There you go. So you can just go out and buy this recombinant factor C. But in the U.S., conserv conservationists were dealt a setback last year when U.S. Pharmacopoeia, an organization that sets guidelines for the pharmaceutical industry, decided it needed to see more data before it would put recombinant factor C on equal footing with a limulus amoebocyte lysate. Wow. Somebody got to them. Yeah. Somebody got to them. The, the big horseshoe crab. Big crab. The big crab uh, um, cartel. Or big, big arthropod. The, yeah. Big anthropod. Big arthropod uh, cartel got to them. Many environmentalists see the lack of approval by U.S. pharmacopoeia as short-sighted and unwise. Yeah. We're going to live in a world where we have more and more pathogens, and the trend is for more pharmaceuticals requiring endotoxin testing. We'll need that anyway. Endotoxins, says Ryan Phelan, executive director and co-founder of the environmental nonprofit Revive and Restore. At some point, there's going, that's going to put pressure on the supply of a non-sustainable product. Why would you not ensure your supply line? Yeah. We're going to need this to test eventually anyway. Yeah, so, yeah. And it's like oil, isn't it? Yes. Disgusting, vile, dirty oil. Nothing about it. Nothing about it is beneficial to human beings. Uh, don't track off now. Other <laughs> than the fact that you can put it in your car and drive around on the, on the fluid produced by dead dinosaurs. That's, that's it. Speaking of that, yeah. from the Atlantic, climate change is going to be gross. Yeah. Yes. I, I saw this. I saw gross. this. Yes, it's going to be gross. Ew, as, yeah. I, as we like to say. Yes, it's going to be icky. A uh, thick layer of mucilage that covered the Sea of Marmara for weeks gives us an unsettling glimpse of climate change more icky effects. It's called marine mucilage, but it's better known as sea snot. And you might say to yourself, well, what is sea snot, Nathan? Mm -hmm. What is sea snot, Nathan? <laughs> uh-huh. Yep. Where, yeah. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. <laughs> what is sea snot, yeah, yeah, Nathan? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, let me explain it to you. The mean surface temperature of the Sea of Mamaro has increased by 2.5 degrees Celsius. That's 1.5 degrees more than the global average, making it a leading indicator for seas around the, er the world, like a canary in the coal mine. This intense warming, the intense warming there, along with decades of abuse from pollution and overfishing, sent the Marmara into a state of maritime shock. At the end of 2020, increased concentrations of phosphorus and nitrogen began to bloom in phytoplankton. Eventually, the phytoplankton began to run out of nutrients, causing the cells of some species to exude a sticky substance. As these cells die, they collided and stuck together, aggregating into globs that hovered in the warmest layer of the stratified water. God. With time and exposure, the globs turned into a submerged mat of mucus that trapped nearly everything around it. Bacteria, fish larvae, dead cells, and debris. Bacteria thrived on the dead phytoplankton, adding to the mat's ma mass, or the snot's mass. It all adds up to sea snot. That's what your sea snot is. <sighs> I think it's going to be kind of a term, though. Uh, sea snot. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, it's good catch on. I yeah. I hope not. 
I hope it doesn't catch on, Nathan, because to... because that's not a good thing. No, I don't mean the actual sneeze, sea snot. Yeah. But I could say to you, you're full of sea snot. <laughs> yeah. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, that definitely. Sense. I think that would, yeah. <laughs> In fact, I feel like saying it right now. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. yeah. I won't, though. Oh, okay. I had to show what a good person I am. By the way, I, by the way it's, I've been thinking about this since we talked about it uh-huh. six minutes ago. I did see an article in my little flipboard a couple of days ago yeah. about that Eric Clapton collaborating. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that, I'm just saying, yes, we did cover it before, but I saw it again. Oh, I know, I okay. know. <laughs> I'm just saying. going on. I know, I know, but I, now I'm questioning everything. <laughs> there will be a where test am I? Who after am, the program. Where, where am I right oh. now? I have no idea. <laughs> oh, uh, Where are you, mother? Well, he knows where he is. Yeah, he does. He's got his act together, that guy. With increasing water temperatures, we should prepare to see more extreme reactions in our seas, including invasive species outbreaks and massive algal seaweed blooms and more sea snot. I don't want to see sea snot. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. Visit us at Facebook at facebook.com slash KUCI 88.9, on our Tumblr blog at KUCIRadio.tumblr.com, on Twitter and Instagram at KUCI FM, and on the web at KUCI.org. From the Washington Post. Go ahead. Nathan, I have something to add that'll be so pithy and so amazing that you'll want to include it in this week's edition of Weekly Signals. When I was a kid... What we're doing right now? Well... This week's edition of Weekly Signals? Yeah, there's some parts of this that you'll... Okay. When I was a kid and you sneezed, Uh and if you... Or let's say you sneezed. I sneezed. Well, wait, maybe... No, it's if I sneezed and you said... What happened? Yeah. And I would, hold, I would hold my hand over my Yeah, your nose, nose is, yeah. And then there would, some fluid would come out of my mm-hmm. nose. And you would say, see snot? I would, they would say, I, I would say, I thought it was water, but it's not. It's not. Uh-huh. And people would just burst into laughter. There was a time that people that, would laugh at that. that? They laughed at that. When, mm. you're, when you're seven, the whole world's your stage. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's, that's just the kind of stuff that... What's not anymore. No, yeah. apparently not. I thought maybe. From the Washington Post. Yeah. Oh, I get it. Yes. Yeah, see, yeah. yeah, it's not. See, it's, I thought it was yeah, water, but it's not. <laughs> yeah, see, there you go. So yeah, yeah, see, Mahler. No, see, listen, yeah, the whole yeah. world is laughing right now. From the Washington Post. <laughs> yeah. Three retired generals, Paul Eaton... Antonio Taguba and Steven Anderson warned that the U.S. must prepare now for a 2024 insurrection. Yes. So we got three generals writing in the Washington Post saying, look out. Yes. In short, the general said, we are chilled to our bones at the thought of a coup succeeding in our next time. On January 6th, a disturbing number of veterans and active duty members of the military took part in the attack on the Capitol. More than one in ten of those charged in the attacks had a service record. Yes. A group of 124 retired military officers under the name of Flag Officers for America released a letter echoing Trump's false attacks on the legitimacy of our elections. Recently, and perhaps more worrying, 
Brigadier General Thomas Mancino, the commanding general of the Oklahoma National Guard, refused an order from President Biden mandating that all National Guard members be vaccinated against the coronavirus. Mancino claimed his commander-in-chief is the Republican governor of the state, not the president. Because Biden is an illegitimate president yeah. by his account. Yeah. yeah. The idea of rogue units of organ organizing the, among themselves to support the commander-in-chief of their choice cannot be dismissed. No. 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 Crazy. Yeah. I look at January 6th as for these people, for the Trump-supporting lunatics out there, and that is, I think they see it as a combination of the Boston Tea Party and Bunker Hill, that this was the opening salvo of us of what they envision as a war a coming war to take over the united states but fortunately they're catching COVID and dying yes so yes there's hope there is hope from the atlantic whatever became of the border wall yeah what <laughs> that's what i'm asking yes from the atlantic i should have said whatever became of the border wall mike and you would say, I don't know, Nathan. I don't know, Nathan. What I, happened? I have no idea. And then idea. I'd say, from the Atlantic. Oh, okay. Yeah. Let's there we, do, go. we can do that. We, you know, we rehearsed this, too. And yeah. I, just forgot, I don't know what I happened. I forgot about that. Tens of thousands of heavy steel slats once destined to become part of Trump's beautiful border wall. Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> I know how to build things. And I'm going to build a beautiful border wall. <laughs> Big, beautiful Anyway, these uh, heavy steel slats are slowly rusting in the open air throughout the southwestern borderlands. The bollards, 18 to 33 foot long hollow posts, most of them reinforced with concrete and rebar, are worth at least a quarter of a billion dollars. Oh my God. The Department of Defense owns most of that steel, but it's unclear what will or can be done with it. Along with the steel, contractors have left light poles, electrical supplies, crushed aggregate process rip wrap rock do you know what rip wrap rock i is? do know what rip yeah i do too yeah. I, I thought i'd pass along i was excited when i found yeah, out you don't often hear it yeah uh, but it's like just what they use to hold up the dirt yeah. to prevent things from uh washing away it's it, it's, a, it's a version of a, cement sort of a very loose kind of uh that's a stabilizer for stabilizer. dirt yes. is what it yeah. amounts to yeah anyway there's a lot of rip wrap rock sand, culvert materials, and piping, altogether worth another $350 million sitting unused in the desert. According to a calculation from the Congressional Research Service, the Trump administration directed $16.4 billion in funding to barrier construction along the southern border. Most of those funds, about $10 billion, came from the Department of Defense. Yeah. And you remember how that happened. I do. It took Trump, who yes. campaigned on the promise of a wall, a, to, he declared a dubious declaration of a national emergency. Yes, exactly. He said it was a national emergency, so he took the money from the Department of Defense to build a wall. That's right. Bypassing Congress and stretching the definition of a national emergency, right. yeah, right. certainly that, did. Yeah, Congress refused to allocate the money for it. Yeah. So he did that, what you just said. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. God, I'm glad we don't have him as president I, right I now. Know, you know, uh, we'd I, have I, over a million people dead right now, if not more. Yes, if he, yeah. we'd have a million people dead from COVID, and the infection rate would be worse. Oh, way worse. Yeah, yeah, because it's taken Herculean efforts on the part of the Biden administration to get 
at least some of the people who would have been refusing to be vaccinated yeah. to now through mandates to be vaccinated. So we know there's appreciably, I don't know the percentage, I don't know the number, but there's a lot more people vaccinated than there would have been under Trump, yeah. which is a huge contributor to the death yeah, I'm toll. so glad Orange County turned blue. Yeah. I mean, people living here in Orange County right now, yeah. a lot of them owe their lives to the fact that Orange County is a blue county right. now. Right. Dannemeyer, Dornan, those are all Republicans that used to be here, would, would have all been anti-vax. Completely John Schmidt. Yeah. All of these lunatic, Lou Sheldon. Remember these oh, just complete off the chart, crazy people running the county? From BBC News. Under the cover of darkness, authorities in Hong Kong tore down a public sculpture dedicated to the victims of the Tiananmen Square massacre accelerating a campaign to erase the crackdown from public recollection and stamp out dissent in a city that, until recently, was one of Asia's freest, Hong Kong. Yeah. The 26-tall artwork known as the Pillar of Shame. Hmm. That's an odd name, don't you think? It's a kind little... of a phallic name. I was yeah. just going to yeah. say I didn't want to yeah. go there, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Johnny? <laughs> Anyway, the pillar of shame had stood at the University of Hong Kong for nearly a quarter of a century and honored the hundreds, if not thousands, of students and others killed on June 4th, 1989, when the Chinese military crushed pro-democracy protests. The sculpture depicting naked bodies twisting together, some in mid-scream, was created by Danish artist Jens Galshot who hopes the pillar of shame can be returned to Denmark so he can repair it and find it a more permanent home. Okay. Installing the sculpture in front of the Chinese embassy in Washington, D.C. would send a strong signal, according to Galshot. I gotta agree with that. Mm -hmm. And he also added Taiwan, London, and Norway as options. Mm -hmm. Norway, because, you know, be his home place. Yeah. 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 I think you'll find a place for it. Yeah, I do too. I do yep. too. Yeah, they're, yes. Yep. The Pillar of Shame. <laughs> From USA Today, a staff librarian at an elementary school in Washington, D.C. directed third graders to reenact the Holocaust. That sounds like fun, doesn't it? You go to your third grade class and today's lesson. Today's lessons. Yeah. Here, here are We're the... We're going to reenact something today. It'll be fun. Yeah. Okay. The Civil War? No. No, no, no. No. No, because no. yeah. that didn't happen. Uh, baking an apple pie? No. <laughs> no, no, no. Santa landing <laughs> on my roof? No. No, no. We have, over here, we have some railroad cars, kids. Exactly. Uh, they, they reenacted the Holocaust, including asking them, the uh, staff librarian asked them to dig ditches for mass graves. Oh, my God. And simulate shootings. This was according to an email that the school's principal sent to parents. This is third grade we're talking about? Yeah, this is, is third grade. Third grade. The staff librarian at Watkins Elementary School in D.C. also reportedly made anti-Semitic statements during the episode. One student wasn't, so I was thinking, well, maybe this is just really kind of hardcore teaching them about the horrors of the Holocaust. To eight-year-olds. Yeah. yeah. But no, this was somebody who had kind of... Who was saying... Not right. Yeah. Okay. So this is... Wow. This... One student was instructed to portray Hitler, 
That student was Jewish. Yeah. Uh, the child was told to pretend to commit suicide, just no. like Hitler. Another parent said her son had to pretend to be on a train to a concentration camp and then act as if he were dying in a gas chamber. Oh, my goodness. Huh? Eight-year-olds. Yeah. Well, you know, they think they at least wait until they're 10 to do well, that. Yeah, I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> that was, oh, my God. That is a crazy story. Yeah, Mother. Calm yourself down. Wow. From Reuters. Let's move on because that's. That's one. So, the, well, let's, so I understand <laughs> okay, this. I want to understand this. The, the, well, the purpose was to teach these children about this historic tra uh, catastrophe, uh -huh. historic, epically horrible thing that happened. Never forget. Never forget. Or was it intended to mock the uh, It sounds like because of the, uh, yeah, the Hitler, racist. Yeah, the racist stuff and the Hitler yeah. and all the. Well, the racist comments during the whole thing. Yeah. Unless, the, I don't know. I really don't know. We don't. All we know is that the principal wrote the letter, kind of apologizing wow. for what happened. Yeah. Well, I, I understand that part. I don't understand anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. From Reuters, Amazon.com Inc. was marketing a collection of Chinese President Xi Jinping's speeches and writings on his Chinese website about two years ago, when Beijing delivered an edict. Amazon.com must stop allowing any customer ratings and reviews in China. I guess I guess uh, Xi Jing's book wasn't, you know, yeah. getting five stars <laughs> from everybody. Yeah. yeah. Wow. A negative review of Xi's book prompted the demand. Amazon complied. Currently on its Chinese site, Amazon.cn, the government published books comments section is disabled. So it's good to know. There's a silver lining to this story for me, Nathan, and that is that it's good to know that we're not the only country on the planet that has uh, that has or has had a megalomaniac, pathological narcissist in charge of the country. Uh -huh. So it's yeah, it seems like Xi Jinping uh, uh, is a little bit uh, uh, more subtle. Yeah, 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 I'll give you that. I'll give him style points. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah but uh, but nonetheless, well, that's crazy. Xi Jinping, anyway. Yeah. This Amazon's compliance with the Chinese government edict is part of a deeper decade-long effort by the company to win favor in Beijing to protect and grow its business in one of the world's largest marketplaces. An internal 2018 Amazon briefing document that describes the company's China, China business lays out a number of core issues Amazon has faced in the country. Mm -hmm. Okay, here we go. Ideological control and propaganda is the core of the toolkit for the Communist Party to achieve and maintain its success, the document notes. We are not making judgment on whether it is right or wrong. Oh, no. I mean, yeah, why would yeah, we yeah, want to do yeah. anything like that? Yeah, you don't want to do that. Hey, you might want yeah. to talk to this third grade. Yeah, why don't you go back and talk to this third grade teacher? Yeah. Yeah, with you, if, yeah, you don't want to pass judgment on any. Yeah, you thank you. Yeah, I know. You I'm sorry. Yeah, excited, I think yeah. we should get Bezos together with that third grade teacher from England, don't uh -huh. you? Put them together. Yeah. Well, they could reenact what? Well, they could reenact uh, uh, the Tiananmen Square the, Massacre. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, Perfect. You go. Yeah. yeah, Perfect. From the New Yorker. 
The Metropolitan Museum of Art announced that seven of its exhibition spaces, including the wing that houses the Temple of Dender, will no longer carry the name of America's most famous drug dealer, the Sackler family. Yes, yes. yes. Much of the fortune of the two Sackler brothers, Mortimer and Raymond, and their company, Purdue Pharma, was made from the sale of OxyContin, hillbilly heroin, yes. OC, rims, tires, greenies, black gold, <laughs> Texas tea, the painkiller that helped to preci precipitate the opioid crisis. Yes. OxyContin. Yes, that's killed... Hundreds of thousands of Americans. Well, they finally got their name off of the gallery. The astounding list of artists helped persuade the Mets to remove the Sackler family, the Sackler family, including Richard Serra, Kara Walker, and Ai Weiwei. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. In May 2019, the Met announced that it would refuse any future donations from the Sacklers, but now the Sackler name has been erased. It was not the first museum to take such an action. The Louvre has already done uh, th that, and nor was it the first major American institution. Tuts, Tufts University took the name down in 2018, followed by New York U University last year. But the Met is a museum where the Sacklers had the longest history, and yeah. it's gone from there now. Yeah, in the same way that the cocaine cartels would build soccer stadiums uh, in in wherever, Argentina, wherever they were doing business or building clinics. It's the same way that the Sackler family was able to ingratiate itself into the legitimate world by doing exactly what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Donating to foundations, donating to uh, museums and such in order to build up some level of respectability for what is other, otherwise an organized crime family, to yeah. be honest with you. Mortimer and Raymond. <laughs> Those are the brothers. Mortimer and Raymond. <laughs> I, I think I think we should have like a, a, a performance art piece. Yes. Where we get them addicted to opioids. <laughs> Don't you think? Yeah. Just and and then watch their lives spiral completely. I'll out just of leave control. them in a little solitary room there at the museum so people can watch. There you go. An installation uh -huh. of Mortimer and Robert. Yeah, yes. Raymond. Raymond. Yeah. <laughs> Mortimer and Raymond addicted to opioids and uh -huh. unable to get them for days at a time. Yeah, that would be. They'd be, they'd be clawing on the. They'd be glass walls. So they'd be clawing on the glass walls. And people would think that was great. And a bucket. And a bucket in the middle. Oh yeah. Like a plastic yeah, bucket. Yeah, they... yeah, we want to be. I mean, we want to be respectful. Uh huh. Yeah. Hey, and finally, from yeah. United Press International, Ingrid Siepel, Ingrid, Ingrid. Siepel. Yeah. Who has been surfing for more than thirty-five years was riding the waves off of Hawaii's Oahu's Kiana Point when she spotted what she thought was a seal in the water. Mm -hmm. But when the animal lifted its head, she was shocked. That's when I realized it was a pig and it saw me. It started swimming toward me as fast as it could. I was trying to paddle away, but it was very close and it was getting closer. I pushed the board between the pig and me and the pig bit my board. <laughs> While her board ended up with a big bite mark. Seepole was able to swim away without any injuries. Yep. The board didn't have any dings, she said in disappointment. Yeah, well. So wait, 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 just, yeah. where did this happen? This was on a lake or in the ocean? Was, I didn't catch the first Hawaii. one. Hawaii. Hawaii, so that yeah. would be the ocean. Not too. too often that people surf in lakes. 
<laughs> That's true. I mean, you know, well, they're, they're well, probably in... Well, I've seen, I have seen people surf behind the wake of a boat in a lake but no well, that's, that's the, yeah, yeah that's, i think that's, that would have been part thing. of the story that <laughs> the pig would, was swimming next to I, a motorboat I, no, next, and, next, and it just wasn't going fast <laughs> enough the, and then yeah. the pig caught up and then yeah. it was a mess next week i'm really going to be listening i promise that's my yeah. promise to you I'll well really... you're very excited santa's coming tonight <laughs> yes <laughs> yes <laughs> merry christmas yes. to all yes merry and christmas. happy holidays and Anything the that the university allows me to say yes. to wish you a joyous time over the next century. <sighs> Been uh, under a lot of pressure lately, Nathan. Let it be. Yeah. You can subscribe to the Weekly Signals Weekly Review podcast at weeklysignals.com. Weeklysignals.com. Subscribe now.